The music you're hearing is taken from Poetry vs. Orchestra, the unique album that sees Holly McNish, one of the UK's most prominent poets, in collaboration with Jules Buckley and the Metropole Orchestra. Alongside Holly's published poetry, many of her poems can be found online, where, with a refreshing lack of gimmicks or airbrushing, we find her directly facing the camera, simply reading her poetry aloud. The Metropole Orchestra are one of Europe's most dynamic chamber orchestras, known for their inventive, eclectic style and often unexpected partnerships, and this album is no exception. The day my mum sliced the cherry pie on the table, my granddad ran off and threw up. I'm so sorry, Dad, said my mum. I'm so sorry I forgot that the tanks all blew up. I was nine years old then, no idea what had happened, but when my papa came back he explained. Two weeks of waiting on the shore of a war beach as rowing boats came to collect them, and the only thing there for the soldiers to eat were pre-packaged sweet syrup cherry tins. His mates were shot dead, the cherries were blood red, stench of rotting and sweet fruit, he was gagging with each breath. He said war is a sham, we had ice cream instead. He said be kind, not revengeful, Holly, don't believe all you read, and don't eat cherries in syrup, cause that stuff rots your dreams. That was Holly McNish and the Metropole Orchestra, directed by Jules Buckley, with the track entitled Grandad, the musical arrangement of Holly's poem Cherry Pie. Musically, it's one of the gentler tracks on the album, but it's still a very emotive piece. Holly's writing often tackles head-on many of the challenges and questions we as individuals and as a society face in the 21st century. She offers down-to-earth responses to incredibly sensitive subjects, including war, immigration, old age, pornography, birth, and motherhood. Holly tells us how this project with Jules Buckley and his orchestra came about. It was mainly Kwame Kwaten's idea, who was my manager for the project, and um, he had worked with the Metropole Orchestra before with Laura Mavula, and he played, just literally just played them a few of the poems and they agreed to do it. They sent off six recordings, so we recorded some of them at um, Abbey Road, studios and then some of them were recorded basically at home studio sent them off and they just like scored pieces of music to them like fitted the music around the poem so which is much better for me like I hate hate the idea of somebody having a beat and me having to read the poem to it because my poem is might be rhythmical but it's not there's no there's not on a beat um so yeah they kind of wrapped the music around and then just one day I got sent back like eight of my poems scored by this amazing orchestra. We can hear that very rhythmic element to Holly's poetry in this extract from one of her most shared poems, Embarrassed, a very candid and personal take on her experience of breastfeeding. I thought it was okay. I could understand their reason. They said there might be a man or a nervous child seeing this small piece of flesh that they weren't quite expecting. So I whispered and tiptoed with nervous discretion. But after six months of her life sat sitting on lids, sipping on milk, nostrils sniffing on piss, trying not to bang her head on toilet roll dispensers, I wonder whether these public loo feeds offend her. Cos I'm getting tired of discretion and being polite, as my baby's first sips are drowned drenched in shite. I spent the first feeding months of her beautiful life feeling nervous and awkward and wanting everything right. Surrounded by family till I stepped out the house. It took me eight weeks to get the confidence to go into town. Now, the comments around me cut like a knife as I rush into toilet cubicles feeling nothing like nice. Because I'm giving her milk that's not in a bottle. 
Wishing the cocaine generation white powder would topple Ussie pyramid sales pictures across our green globe and female breasts banned. Unless they're out just for show. Putting texts like this to music, rhythmic but not necessarily with a regular metre, is not without its challenges, as Alida Shat, leader of the Metropole Orchestra, explains. If I'm correct in assuming this, that Jules and the other arrangers, Holly had recorded it first. So they put music to her words. And that's quite difficult because she has a certain metre and... To write music to that is quite difficult, actually, and I think it was really important that we didn't undermine her words. I think what I really like about it is that her poetry, the meaning of her poetry, and it's on the foreground. That worked really, really well, I thought. I think it's great. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> we hear now the continuation of the poem Embarrassed from the album Poetry Versus Orchestra. Music by Chris Wheeler, arranged by Simon Whiteside, performed by Holly McNish and the Metropole Orchestra. And the more I go out, the more I can't stand it. I walk into town, feel I'm surrounded by bandits, because in this country of billboards covered in tits, and family newsagent magazines full of it, WH Smith top shelves out for men, why don't you complain about them then? In this country of billboards covered in tits, and family newsagent magazines full of it. WH Smith top shelves out for men, I'm getting embarrassed in case a small flash of flesh might offend. Perhaps one of the most striking aspects of this album is its presentation as a double CD. On one disc we hear Holly reading her poems aloud, the other offers the musical arrangements. I asked Holly why this was important. For me, poetry really is like a, a well, a written or a spoken art form like before it's lyrics or put to music and I've had totally different feedback like some people genuinely hate hearing it with the music and they've said like why did you do that and other people love it and ask me to do that on other albums and yes it just depends it it kind of makes sense like lots of people say oh you've done that but I'd like to read them or if you just print the book then they're like oh well I don't really get a chance to sit down often and read poetry so are you going to do an audio version so yeah, just wanted to cover all grounds, YouTube, audio, <laughs> music and, and written. However exciting the project, it must have been a slightly strange experience for Holly to send away recordings of her poems and have them transformed into musical tracks over which she had no input. I wondered how Holly felt about the final results. I don't know if I liked all of them at first. Like there were some, I was like, what, what, what? how have you done this and then others that I just thought fitted so well and and made the poems way better um yeah because I've never been that I've never been that keen on poetry with music to be honest I like I just like listening to people's poems or reading the poem by itself but yeah it grew on me especially tracks like wow I think that's probably my favorite one I loved it um and Megatron just it just made it kind of Funnier, I think, I hope. My body is amazing. I can almost hear her saying it as she stands naked at the mirror, hands clapping in applause to it. 
She's naked, bold and proud. Her mouth open wide and round like, wow, my body is amazing. She's one year old and loving it, big belly sticking out, thighs like mini tire towels. And when she looks at her reflection, she always shouts aloud like, wow, this body is so great. Gazing down now, I try to do the same. Ignore the plastic advert spreads that pass me on the way. I say my body is amazing, despite what some might say. I say my body is amazing, despite the claims you make. The nip and tuck and cuts and sucks that fill my walk to work each day. Enhancement ads and happiness will only come with curves this way. And if I lay in front of you today, clothes drop to the floor. You prescribe me what I could have less of and what I should want more of. That was Holly's poem, Wow, in its arrangement by Jules Buckley, performed by the Metropole Orchestra. Holly tells us how her reactions have changed over time to some of the tracks. And the other one that I didn't like at first, and now is one of my favourites, was the Ocean Floor one, um, which is a poem I wrote ages ago, about basically about the amount of people that um, die trying to flee from different countries and bodies that are found in the sea. It wasn't written recently, but obviously, like relevant again I just felt like putting music to it when I first heard it I was worried it made it sound a bit surreal or like a soundtrack to a film rather than just a poem that's about children basically drowning and then you put all this kind of glorious music to it I thought maybe this sounds like maybe I'm using this crisis to like make a nice piece of music actually yeah it grew on me a lot and it's the one probably the one that I think fits best to the actual poem. I was just worried that it'd sound a bit, a bit like, not glamorising death, but, you know, using it for, like, artistic mean rather than doing anything to help. In a land where sheep graze gracefully on never-ending rolling hills and vodka spills from disco dancing hands, where grandmas do lunch over sandwiches, three-tiered trays toppled by Victoria sponges and rock cakes and scones and jam and clotted cream with silver spoons stirring our sugary teas, we say go back. There's no space for you here. I watched Titanic five times at the cinema, tears streaming down my cheeks as I heard the oarsman shriek, is anybody out there? Is anybody still alive? Flashlights on black night skies searching for living Through freezing waters praying for shivering skins Or whistle sounds or splashing or breathing or anything I used to think all flashlights in oceans were searching for bodies to save I was wrong Hollywood now gone Our flashlights shine in frightened faces condemning foreign skins We say go back, this is our land Our torches on water used to search for drowning bodies Now they make them as men overboard throw blanketed children to fate, praying away from border control bullets as babies sink into the kingdoms below where crabs dance through coral and sea urchins blow trumpets to welcome the new crowds of visitors as boats topple people into the party below and corpses line seabeds with nowhere to go and mermaids sit singing to show them the way, I hope, at least they say, welcome, come here, sit down, you're safe with us now. We heard there an extract from Ocean Floor, Holly Manish's poem in its musical arrangement by Jules Buckley, taken from the album Poetry vs Orchestra. I was lucky enough to attend the launch of this album at Cadogan Hall last year, a concert unlike any other I'd attended at this venue. 
Here the audience took their seats, drinks in hand, and settled in to hear live poetry, first performed by Selena Godden and Vanessa Kazuli, and then by Holly McNish and the Metropole Orchestra. Just about the gig, it was the same as with the album, like because they wanted to just do it with the orchestra. And I was like, no way, like, if they, we've got this many people, you have to do a section which has just got poetry. That's the thing, I don't think anyone thinks a poetry night's going to be funny, and sometimes it's not, and that's fine, but it quite often is. Like, it's quite often like a really good blend of being able to laugh and <laughs> like, be slightly embarrassed or cry or whatever, however things affect you. I think that's my favourite thing about poetry, like live poetry now, is that of all the places I go, it's got a massive mix of people from different backgrounds and I don't mean always different ethnicities which is the case as well but like ages I've never been to gigs before where there's people from you know 15 if it's like an adult night I guess 16 up to like 80 it's just brilliant and and performers you know that doesn't often happen what came across so clearly at the live performance was a sense of spontaneity the way all the poets spoke to the audience really broke down the barrier which can so often spring up between those on the stage and those in the audience. This evening was about sharing live poetry and contemporary music, a revelation in contemporary performance for me. In the same way, Holly describes how she was pleasantly surprised when she first met Jules and the orchestra. I guess I expected them to be quite a lot posher than they were, I can put it bluntly, especially Jules Buckley, because... I don't know any conductors and I don't know anyone that writes contemporary music. I just, when he started speaking, didn't imagine him to sound like that. Didn't really imagine him to be so laid back, smiley, which is ridiculous, isn't it? Just because I don't know anything about the the area of, of that sort of music. Um, and I guess the same with the orchestra. They were just so friendly and so kind of relaxing to be around. I really was more nervous for that gig than any gig I've ever done in my life. And I had so, so many nightmares before that gig that I thought, I just don't, I don't want to do it. I just, this is not good for my health. <laughs> and, um, and then when I met them and I was like, okay, this is like not a big deal for them. It's a really big deal for me. And they're totally fine. And they're still slightly nervous about getting it wrong or, or they make mistakes. Yeah, it was much more relaxed than I'd imagined. Really, yeah, really nice. As with the live performance, what really comes across with this album is a fantastic sense of collaboration between two artists at the forefront of today's contemporary culture. Holly's refreshingly down-to-earth approach to our most pressing socio-economic, political and emotional challenges, paired with the fresh inventive sound that Jules Buckley and the Metropole are famous for, make for a stunning album. I leave you now with Mathematics, perhaps one of the most relevant tracks for us today on the album. Thanks for listening to this edition of Breaking Boundaries with me, Rachel Roundtree. He said those goddamn Pakistanis in their goddamn corner shops built a shop on every corner, took our British workers' jobs. He said those goddamn Chinese in their goddamn China shops. I told him they're from Vietnam, but he didn't give a toss. I asked him what was there before the damn Japan man shop. He looks at me and dreams a scene of British workers' jobs. A full-time, full employment before the goddamn boats all came, where everybody went to work for full-time, full weeks, every day. A British business stood there first, he claims, before the Irish came. Now British people lost their jobs and bloody Turkish there to blame. I ask him how he knows that fact. He said, because it's true. 
I asked him how he knows it's fact. He said he read it in the news. Every time a Somalian comes here, they take a job from us. The mathematics one for one from us to them, it just adds up. He bites his cake, he sips his brew. He says again he knows the plot. The goddamn Caribbeans came and now good folk here don't have jobs. I ask him what was there before the goddamn Persian curtain shop. I show him architecture's plans of empty goddamn plots of land. I show him the historic maps, a bit of sand, a barren land. There was no goddamn shop before that Pakistani came and planned. Man, I am sick of crappy mathematics, because I love a bit of sums. I spent years into economics and I geek out over calculus. And when I meet these paper claims that one of every new that came takes away one's daily wage, I desperately want to scream your maths is stuck in primary. Because some who come here also spend, and some who come here also lend, and some who come here also tend to set up work which employs them. And all your balance sheets and trends, they work with numbers, not with men. And all this goddamn heated talk ignores the trade the Polish brought, ignores the men they give work to, not plumbing jobs but further too. Ignores the guys they buy stock from, accountants, builders, on and on. And I know it's nice to have someone to blame our lack of jobs upon, but immigration's not that plain despite the sums inside our brains as one for one. As him for you, as if he goes home they'd employ you. Cause sometimes one that comes makes two, and sometimes one can add three more, and sometimes two times two is much, much more than four. And most times, immigrants bring more than minuses.